Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health here in Toronto. Cutting-edge, state-of-the-art, compassionate facility. Right now, it is Mental Health Awareness Week. This is the time when they need you most. This is the time when you can make a real difference when it comes to doing something about the mental health crisis and the devastating opioid epidemic, the overdose epidemic that we're currently experiencing, losing 20 people every day. They need your help. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. This episode of CanadaLand is brought to you by Hover.com, and they're just the company that you should use if you need a domain or if you need email hosting. Go to Hover.com, get 10% off your first purchase by using the offer code CanadaLand. This episode is also brought to you by TunnelBear, the simple privacy app that makes it easy to access a more open internet and browse privately. Go to freetunnelbear.com, start using it right away. Stereotypes are true, uh, especially here in Toronto. We don't think about Newfoundland much. We don't talk about it much. If we cover it in our media, it's usually a story like this. This is a story that made the rounds last week. Newfoundland has become the only province in Canada to have a book tax. It is also the province with the lowest literacy rate. Why did that story break through? Why did that become a national news story about Newfoundland? I believe the reason is that it sounds like half of a Newfoundlander joke. And I was going to say the other thing, but I've been warned that to do so is the equivalent of using the N-word. I guess it is an N-word and it is as offensive to Newfoundlanders. So what is the real news right now about Newfoundland? I think the news is that Newfoundland is screwed. Newfoundland had a lot invested in oil. 
like Alberta, they put their eggs in that basket. Those eggs are cracked, they're smashed, and it doesn't look like there's really any other revenue that can replace it at that scale at all, both in terms of Newfoundland's domestic oil production and all of these Newfoundlanders who would go work the oil sands. It's all kind of gone overnight. And as a result, they just handed down this budget which is the craziest austerity budget you've ever heard. That's what that tax is about. That's just one teeny piece of it, the book tax. There are new taxes on gasoline. There are new personal income taxes. There's a new temporary deficit reduction levy. It all adds up to like $2,000 a person in additional new taxes at a time when people in the province can least afford it. This could be disastrous. This story is reaching a crisis level. We don't hear much about it. They don't necessarily hear much from us. We don't even distribute national newspapers. The Globe and the Post don't even distribute in Newfoundland. This is a shame that it takes a silly story to break through the national news media because the stories coming out of Newfoundland are often bonkers, crazy, juicy, salacious, awful, interesting, funny, just like Newfoundlanders themselves. If you've had the pleasure of meeting them and speaking with them, they are very funny people who tell amazing stories. And it seems like the things that happen there are very dramatic. James McLeod is the political reporter for the St. John's Telegram. He is also the author of the book Turmoil as Usual, a book about insanity in Newfoundland politics. And he'll join me in a moment. Wait for it. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Laszlo Panaflex, Jennifer Ian and Arthur Audrey, Chris, Annie Hodgins, Julian Higari Nunez, Madeline Yakimchuk, Colin J. Herman, and Nathan Colborn. Nathan, why did you decide to be awesome? I heard my brother uh, on the list of sponsors once, and uh, I felt if he pointed up, then uh, I should do that as well. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health. Right now, there is an opioid crisis. Right now, there is a mental health crisis. But right now, it is Mental Health Week. And what that means is you can do something about these crises. You can help people. You can help CAMH save lives. They offer treatment with dignity, and they are doing cutting-edge research. I don't know if anybody listening to this is untouched by this crisis. You can see it in the downtown of every city in this country. You certainly feel it in Toronto. This is not something happening to other people. These are our friends. These are our communities, our families. We are all touched by addiction. We are all touched by the mental health crisis, and we all share responsibility to do something about it. Helping CAMH is something you can do about it. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where nobody is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help them treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen... I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free 
with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is also brought to you by a new sponsor for Canada Land, Hover.com, local company that we use for our domain registration and for our email. Hover has encouraged me to just speak my mind about their product. And I, I hate to kind of uh, advertise a product by talking about how much I hate their competitors, but that really is the truth of the matter. I'm not going to name them, but I've used these other companies where you just, all you want to do is register a domain. You have an idea for something. You want to grab the domain. All you want to do is get an email attached to that domain. I want to be jesse at canadalandshow.com. And you enter into this sales hell where trying to navigate the interface of these hover competitors, the buttons that you think are actually just setting up the service, you're actually buying other services and they're trying to upsell you into all sorts of other things. And the whole experience is terrible and it auto renews and the prices increase and everything is just disgustingly bad. Hover.com, I don't even have that much to say about them because it just did what I wanted it to do. It just got me the, the URLs that I wanted. You can plug them in through Hover Connect. You, like, you know, they're not trying to sell you their own. Like, you can have your website on Squarespace. You can have a Tumblr and use Hover. You can use Hover for your email, but it plugs in beautifully to Gmail. It just does what it's supposed to do. Go to Hover.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand when you check out, and you'll get 10% off. They're a Canadian company. It's as simple as that. They're the people you want to use. This episode is also brought to you by TunnelBear. The simple privacy app that makes it easy to access a more open internet and browse privately. Some of you know why you would want a tool like this. Other people might not be clear. Why would you want to use the internet privately? Why would you want to use the internet through a service like TunnelBear, which makes it seem like you're coming from the States or from like 20 other countries that TunnelBear lets you tunnel into the internet through? I don't know. You know, there's all sorts of geo-blocking, all sorts of content you can't get. If you look like you got a Canadian connection, maybe you want to watch Comedy Central clips and chill. Maybe you want to watch Hulu and chill. There's all sorts of things that you might want to do and chill that you can't do if you're surfing the internet from Canada. And when you use TunnelBear to surf the internet, you got the best encryption out there, AES 256-bit encryption, the strongest encryption. You can bypass these geoblocks. You can hide your physical location. Third parties, hackers, law enforcement, nobody can actually see your online activity when you're using TunnelBear. They have an amazing privacy policy. They don't even collect your data. So even if they wanted to give it to somebody else, they couldn't. They have apps for iOS, Android, PC, and Mac, and a Chrome extension. And it's free. The first 500 megabytes of surfing is free when you go to freetunnelbear.com. You pay when you hit that five. You don't even have to give them their credit card before that. 500 megabytes for free. Try it out now and see what the internet looks like if you're not a Canadian. Freetunnelbear.com. Check it out. So to my shame, I have never been to Newfoundland. I've been out east uh, fairly extensively, but never to Newfoundland. It's another world, as I understand it. I think that's a fair assessment. It's a pretty cool place, but it's an island in the North Atlantic, and it's a pretty rugged environment, and they're fairly rugged people. I've heard it said it's not for the faint of heart, and, and there's some truth to that. But it's a great place to visit, and it is dead broke right now. So if you if you want to come out, now's a really good time to do that. Just after this budget, dead broke. Oh, yeah. You have, like, it is unreal how, how intense this thing is. All right. Well, I do want to talk. I feel like it would, we would be remiss, we'd be missing the point to talk about Newfoundland media and not talk about the dire situation, just how screwed Newfoundland is right now. So we'll get to that. 
In anticipation of this interview, I was talking with you about uh, the media and Newfoundland. We were talking about the Globe and Mail, and you told me, well, actually, we don't get the Globe and Mail here. I used to have a, a subscription to the, to the Saturday Globe and, and read it in a, a coffee shop every weekend. And it was a, a few years ago now that they stopped printing. It's a bit of a bitter joke out here. The National Post has has never, uh, in the eight years I've been living here, they've, they've never printed in Newfoundland. Uh, you can't get a copy of the Toronto Star unless you know someone flying from Toronto. I, I mean, I work for the Telegram, which is the largest daily newspaper in the province. And we're actually probably pretty lucky based on the fact that we don't have any national print competition here. I mean, there's a CP reporter who's here, and, and she's great. Whenever there's a story on a Newfoundland Labrador in the Globe or the Star, it's it's very much fly-in, fly-out coverage or just on the phone from somewhere else. That's kind of extraordinary that you, you don't have access to national newspapers. I mean, it's a, Newfoundland Labrador is a province of Canada. It sort of calls into question to what extent these papers are actually national newspapers. The internet exists. I don't really care if a printed edition of the National Post shows up here. Although, I mean, it, it kind of sucks because... There are things you get in the print edition that don't turn up so much on the websites. But for me, it's more about the coverage. And uh, like my mother, uh, who lives in Toronto, will uh, every every month or two send me something or other that she read in the Globe about, uh, you know, the state of the oil industry in Newfoundland and in the report on business or something about what's going on here. And more often than not, it's it's something that locally the CBC and the Telegram and everyone else has covered six months ago or a dozen times in the last year. That's what mom's clippings are always are for. You know, you roll your eyes. Oh, yeah, I know, mom. It, it it really does feel like, you know, we know what's going on here. And then every once in a while, the folks on the mainland realize, oh, hey, there's something interesting happening in Newfoundland. We should cover that. It, it seems like there's always something rather dramatic happening in Newfoundland. And just doing a little bit of research into the media history I was shocked to learn that, like, Spotlight happened first in Newfoundland. Yeah, that's that's way before my time. But the Daily Express, or it's the Sunday Express, uh, was a newspaper that, that broke some, some really horrific allegations around an orphanage called Mount Cashel. There's actually a, a civil trial relating to the sex abuse there ongoing right now. And all this stuff is being dredged up again. Yeah, Newfoundland was one of the first places anywhere that uh, really sort of confronted the history of Catholic sex abuse in, in public and in the media. And it was Michael Harris, who I, I've had the pleasure to uh, to chat with, not on the show, uh, journalist these days with iPolitics, but he was the editor of the Sunday Express. I, I actually was, was surprised that there wasn't, uh, unless I missed something, you know, we're usually pretty quick to say when there's some big American film, what's the Canadian angle? Did we do it first? Do we have more of a claim on this than the Americans? But but Michael Harris came out in a very Catholic community, uh, came out with an expose of the Catholic Church in 1989. There are, to this day, really complicated views of the, the Catholic Church as a result. The Church has lost a lot of steam. This trial is definitely dredging up a lot of that stuff. So... All of this history, where are you at now in terms of how people talk about the news and communicate with each other? I mean, it's nice to have a monopoly as a as the only game in town as uh, for for print journalism. But are the same trends that are putting in peril the very existence of print journalism also affecting you? Well, I, I mean, the Telegram is definitely a newspaper in 2016 with all of the the problems that go along with that. I, I mean, they're 
I was laid off by the Telegram once and hired back after a few months based on, you know, how things sort of shook out. And, you know, there's been buyouts and all of that. And the CBC is doing better now, but it's suffered a lot in recent years. The bigger issue is that it's a small province and everyone knows everyone and there's a lot of cozy relationships uh, that have gone back decades and decades. And that is the real dynamic. It's the fact that if you've got four media outlets and everyone knows something, but no one really wants to tackle that particular issue, it just doesn't get reported. Anything you can talk about? You may have heard there was an incident uh, a bit more than a year ago where where a man was shot by a police officer who was part of the premier's protection detail. This is something that's still playing out. Mm -hmm. It was under weird circumstances. The the guy tweeted something at the premier and uh, it was interpreted as as a threat. So a, a cop showed up to this guy's house and a, a plainclothes officer alone on Easter Sunday uh, in an unmarked vehicle showed up to this guy's house to sort of run down the threat and see if there was anything to it. The cop went inside the house. We don't know what happened next, but a man ended up dead. The victim's name is Donald Dunphy. What did Dunphy tweet? I, I don't have it in front of me, uh, but he was an injured worker who was really angry at the government. And he was talking about how politicians routinely laugh at poor people. And he knows of two examples of former cabinet ministers who laugh at poor people. But he said they're former cabinet ministers, many years former. And he, he said, two dead prick MHAs, I won't say anything. I might hurt their families. And he was tweeting this at the premier and another politician. So on a very cursory reading, two dead prick MHAs, you know, I might hurt their families. Certainly sounds threatening, but if you kind of read it in context, it was, he was talking about other people completely and there was, it wasn't a threat. And just so I understand, he's saying these these individuals are dead or they're dead as no, no, they, they, they're dead. They, they're like they, they were politicians years ago and they're no, no longer alive. So the dead part is just referring to people who have deceased. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, then, and he was saying, I'm not going to name names because I, I might hurt their families in the sense that right. it may inv- embarrass people. But this was just completely interpreted. And so I understand now. And, and then, and then the, the, they show up at his door and then he ends up dead and, and, the, and the press doesn't uh, run with the name of the. OK. So all of this was obviously a big deal. There's going to be an inquiry about it. Uh, the police are still investigating whether to lay murder charges. And all this shook out last spring. And for, for a matter of, of many weeks and months, every single media outlet knew the name of the officer. I chatted with him dozens of times because, you know, he was a member of the premier security detail. You know, you, you'd see him at all sorts of events and, you know, he guy you'd shoot the shit with. His name was not reported for quite a long time. And I I believe, uh, back to Michael Harris, I I believe he was the one who originally reported it. Uh, The CBC may have as well, but it took quite a long time. And and that's just because there was there was no official acknowledgement that that's the the police or or the premier's office never named the officer. Everyone kind of knew it, but it was this uncomfortable thing where there were some sort of, in web comments, there were some death threats directed at this nameless officer, and there was some concern there. But it really was a situation where everyone in the media knew it, and uh, it took a long time for it to, to shake out publicly. But it, but it has. Can you share it now? But, uh, oh, the, the officer's name? He, his name's Joe Smythe. 
I, I mean, I, I, I wrestled with that myself. Like, what is the value of putting that name out there? And I, I mean, if there are threats, putting the name, I, I don't know. All this ties in, of course, to, you know, I've just put a whole lot of names out there on a different issue. But uh, you, you, you've basically printed your own sunshine list in Newfoundland. Yeah. And I should stop a second because this is sort of well known here in Ontario, but uh, not in every part of Canada. This is here anyhow. It's a list of anybody who's getting paid uh, from the public trough uh, in excess of $100,000 a year. The government itself exposes those names so we can just be aware of who's getting what. And and we have this annual sunshine list where where it's a a complete index of who these people are and what they earn. Yeah. I I mean, it's it's names, it's positions, and it's uh, it's total, uh, total earnings. Yeah, it's it's a fairly standard thing, and there was some talk of doing something like this in Newfoundland and Labrador. The previous government, who was under under fire for not being very transparent and accountable, in the the dying days of their administration, promised to enact some, something like this, and then they got booted out of office in the November election. The Liberal government was swept to power, among other things, very much on vocally declaring that they would run an open, transparent, accountable administration, like all opposition parties do on their way to government. In the months after they were elected, I started asking questions like, you know, are you going to do this sunshine list? The minister responsible was very, you know, hemming and hawing, and we're going to look at it. It'll it'll take a little while. We haven't really thought about that. We'll, We'll see. Which, to me, seemed like they were walking back from it. That sounds like a no. It sounds like a, we're going to, you know, wait for the dust to die, die down and then probably not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The way our access to information law is worded, this is public information or, or it should be. It, it very clearly says in the law that, that remuneration is not personal information and must be disclosed if it's asked for. So I basically filed about a dozen access to information requests Looking at the biggest uh, departments and agencies of government, uh, compiled something with about 4,000 entries of people earning more than $100,000 mm-hmm. uh, and published this in the last couple of weeks. And then uh, everything kind of exploded. Did you publish it in the Telegram or did you publish this like on your blog? Uh, no, we, well, it, originally it was in, uh, on my blog. It was a link to a, a Google document spreadsheet. But we we did end up publishing this in the Telegram. Uh, it was over about five pages and over several days, just tiny type, name after name after name, position and salary. What has the fallout been from that? A lot of people are angry. You know, when you're publishing someone's exact earnings, that feels like a very personal piece of information. There's 30 or 40% of the response is people applauding this, saying this is great, this is definitely something, information we should have. There's a lot of people who are saying that positions and salaries, that information should be out there, but not names. There is a vocal group of people who say that, you know, I'm an irresponsible muckraker and, you know, all of it is bad. Like you say, it's pretty standard practice elsewhere, though the context right now, given the economic situation of Newfoundland, to point out who is doing so well. Uh, with taxpayer-funded salaries is explosive. And and that's, you know, I I absolutely think that that information should be out there, but I I can only imagine the powder keg. And the the information itself is one thing, and I've pulled some good stories from that, and I think there are some more stories left to tell that that I'm still working on. Whatever the data says, I think is almost secondary to the 
the big story to me is the fact that the government is tap dancing around whether or not to disclose this. And it's public information. The law says that anyone who wants this information, all you have to do is ask. And yet when you ask the government, are you going to disclose this in any sort of systematic, sensible, posting it on the government website kind of way. So that's kind of badass what you did. And it makes me wonder about the access to information laws because I – I had a some kind of like sense that a year or two ago, people were not – that was a problem in Newfoundland. Yeah. Well, and our, our access to information law was, was really abysmal. Uh, about three, four years ago, the, the previous government introduced a, a suite of amendments that were really regressive and shut down a lot of opportunities to, to access information. And they got – absolutely pounded for it. It was There was a, a four-day filibuster in the House of Assembly, and the public was very much engaged in this. And and again, in their last year of office, um, to sort of beating back at that, they passed a, a completely new bill that is wide open and, and very clear. And it's it's wonderful. You, you don't have to pay a cent to file an access to information request here now. The timelines are really fairly rigid, 20 business days, and you get your documents back. It's really a great law for someone who's trying to get information from government. It's a consequence of of a government that was about to lose an election, and realistically, part of of it was them salting the earth for the next guys. (laughs) So has there been an impact? Have journalists been able to get their hands on all kinds of secrets that uh, they're clamoring for over the years? There have been some good stories to come out over it. I, I mean... It's still really new, and we're sort of testing the boundaries of it. But yeah, I mean, there's stuff that I never would have gotten under the old law that I'm getting my hands on now. I used to never ask for emails because the volume of documents that you'd be looking at, it would take many, many hours for them to go through it, and it would end up costing a small fortune for uh, for the processing fees. The fee structure has been changed such that I got an access to information request back with about 4,000 pages of documents. I didn't pay a cent for it. It it just, it's completely changed things and and opens up what you can do on a budget in a big way. It's really interesting to note the difference between charging anything and charging nothing. That if if you put a fee per document, then you need to be very targeted when you are doing journalism, when you, know, you have to basically have the story beforehand so you know exactly what to ask for. But if it's free and if the turnaround time is decent and the, the process is not too – there's not too much friction, it's not too laborious to fill out the requests, you can really start to do like data projects or you can look at vast swaths of information and look for stories within it. Yeah, well, and, and one of the things that I've started doing in, in a very big way has been asking for documents in Excel spreadsheet format. So whether it's – I did a thing on, on overtime at the prison. There's some serious labor problems at, at the province's penitentiary where prison guards routinely work 24-hour shifts. And I was trying to put some numbers to this stuff. And so I asked for sort of month-by-month breakdowns of how many hours and what kind of payouts were happening for overtime. And I I specified that I wanted all in Excel spreadsheet forms. And I I got all that data. And then it's just a dream to sort of start sorting and doing sums. And uh, you can, without a ton of know-how, you can do a lot of, of good work 
getting to the heart of this stuff. What, what, what did you find? It was literally millions of dollars worth of overtime routinely being paid out. And I, I forget the exact numbers, but, but you could sort of see consistent patterns of the prison leaning on workers for 24-hour shifts, which, I, I mean, when you think about that, when you think about a correctional officer working 24 hours straight, that's just, you know, insane and dangerous. There have been recommendations from, you know, independent reports that this practice has got to stop. And uh, it's year, years later, it's still going on. It's, it's pretty, um, pretty staggering. Okay, so you and I are speaking during a very busy moment for you because uh, this is right after the, the budget came out. And, um, you know, just getting back to where we started, these are tough times. We hear a lot about how the oil slump is affecting Alberta. We haven't heard so much about what's happening in Newfoundland, and it's actually quite different the way it's playing out, isn't it? Yeah. Well, the, the shape of, of the Newfoundland Labrador oil industry is very different from Alberta because here it's not such a big employer. I mean, that's part of it. It's basically three offshore um, producing facilities, uh, one big rig and two boats that are out there pumping oil out of the, the ocean. And they're in the process of, of building a fourth one that'll be coming on stream in a, a couple of years. But it's, it's not like you have a ton of people working in the oil sands. So th- there haven't been the massive layoffs that way. But the main impact of oil in Newfoundland and Labrador is on the provincial government. The government is a, a huge employer in a small province. And a few years ago, when, when prices were high, oil royalties were funding about a third of all revenue coming into the provincial treasury. Uh, now it's, it's way down from that. And the deficit numbers are, I, I mean, for people is listening in Alberta, the, the numbers are going to seem adorably small. But for a province the size of Newfoundland and Labrador, it's huge. We were, we were looking at posting around a, a $2.7 billion deficit if no action had been taken this year. And, and that's on a budget that's only around an $8 billion total. That's what the government's spending altogether. Yeah. So, so in percentage terms, that's nuts. The government got elected in November, and ever since then, they've been priming people, sort of saying, we're going to have to do some wild stuff to, to get this under control. That's what just came down. Uh, taxes have gone up across the board including in some ways that the Liberals very categorically declared that they would not raise the sales tax, you know, boom, up two points. They categorically promised they would not lay people off. Uh, 650 positions have been cut, and it's been really intense. And everyone knew this was coming, which is one of the reasons why the Sunshine List was such an explosive thing, because at a time when everyone is is sort of girding for the worst, here's a list of everyone who's making more than $100,000, including people who are making three, four, dollars $500,000 working for the provincial government. Wow. That was not my intention, by the way. Like, it was just sort of timing that, you know, the new government took office, and then I, I started asking questions, and I started filing these requests, and this is when the, the information came back, and so this is when I put it out there. But it definitely played into a narrative that got a little bit ugly. Yeah, and I, I have to imagine things are not going to get much better anytime soon when you've got layoffs from government, from the oil industry. Uh, I don't know what other industry is on the upswing and then personal taxes going up. 
like I, what really hit home for me, I mean, when you talk about billions and you compare it to Alberta, these numbers get become kind of uh, abstract. But uh, you're reporting, I learned that some of these like micro cuts organizations getting cut $400 from their budget. Everybody's tax is going up like $900 a person at least before the sales tax, I believe. Like when you got people who are out of work, that really hurts. Like ultra austerity. What, 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 what's going to happen next? What hope is there? Like just how, just how screwed is Newfoundland? Someone set up a GoFundMe page yesterday and I, I think it's been taken down, but if anyone wants to kick in a few bucks, that would be great. A, Go, a GoFundMe page for the province? For, for the province of Newfoundland and Labrador, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't lost your sense of humor over there. Anyhow. This is just the first salvo. Uh, 600 jobs cut, that's just sort of the, the first, that's just round one. The cuts have been big and small, but I'm, I'm forgetting how much money exactly they were planning on saving. But one of the reductions was uh, diabetic test strips. The provincial drug program funds a certain number of diabetic test strips. Uh, they are putting limits on how many they will pay for, which they expect to save $4.9 million. Like that's that's the kind of thing they're things they're going at. And we're just talking about the job cuts in the province because like a lot of people f- would fly out to Alberta to work the oil sands, right, from Newfoundland. Well, that's that's another big problem where there, there were a lot of fly-in, fly-out workers uh, heading up to Alberta. Most of those people are now out of work, and so they're just at home not working. And when we talk about job cuts, that's just direct people being laid off by the government. Uh, beyond the 600 or so, uh, we were told in the budget lockup that around they're expecting around 2,500, 3,000 people to be out of work just from economic spinoff of this budget, just because taxes are going up and, you know, they're, they're literally doubling the gas tax overnight. Uh-huh. It's, yeah, they're, they're putting a new 15% in ta- uh, tax on uh, insurance. Cab drivers are losing their minds. It's a bad time for Newfoundland and Labrador. Bad time for the province. Uh, good time for writing news stories, if, if the newspaper can stick around, I guess. Well, yeah. I, I mean, if people keep advertising uh, in the newspaper, which, gosh, I hope they will. But, you know, you never know. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me always at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read all of your emails. I respond when I can. We are on Twitter at CanadaLand. Our website is canadalandshow.com. And our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. The next episode of CanadaLand Commons will be up on Tuesday. And the next episode of CanadaLand Shortcuts will be up on Thursday. I make this show with Katie Jensen. Russell Gregg handles the syndication of Canada Land for campus and community radio across the country. If you like what we do, please support us. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada Land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada Land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada Land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. 
It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.